This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Let's take our Bibles and go with me, if you would, please, to the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 22, we continue our study of the life of David. And when we last left David, David was uh, in uh, an unlikely place. He was in uh, the land of the Philistines in a city called Gath, the hometown of Goliath. And uh, when he recognized that they knew who he was, uh, they, of course, took him to the king. King Achish of Gath, and there David feigned himself as a madman. He prayed to the Lord for deliverance. And we come to 1 Samuel chapter number 22, and we find that David has departed from Gath. He is on the run still from David, and he is glad and thankful to have been delivered from the hand of the Philistines. In verse number one, we read these words, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. David went thence to Mizpah of Moab, and he said unto the king of Moab, Let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. The prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Then David departed and came into the forest of Hareth. Notice, if you would please, in verse number two, we come to the very middle portion of the verse. We find this statement, and he, that is David, became a captain over them. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, he became a captain. The shepherd boy, who was a servant and a soldier, now on the run from Saul, out in the wilderness, dwelling in a cave, has now become a captain. I want us to pray together, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his word this morning. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come again around your word together. And We know that you are in our midst, and we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us through your word. May the Holy Spirit Remove from our hearts and minds the distractions that occupy us. Help us to receive your word, and may we yield and submit our will to obey it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. David is in another unlikely place, but at least closer home. It's not a very comfortable place, but nevertheless, it's a safe place. He's in a cave cave of Adullam. 
we're going to find that David, from this cave and in this cave, penned at least two psalms that we enjoy reading, Psalm 57 and Psalm 142. We'll read those in just a moment. But we find that God was doing an unusual thing in his life. While he's on the run, God is working. He's using this time of trial and difficulty in his life. And he's preparing him for future service. And to help him in preparation for that future service, he appoints him as a captain. Not a captain in Saul's army, but a captain in his army. And a captain of a group of unlikely, unwanted men. He became a captain. Uh, we note four things here as we consider how God made him a captain. Number one, we'll see the cave. Number two, we'll see the company. That's the group of men who followed him. Number three, we'll note the calamity. And then number four, we'll see the condemned. Let's note first of all the cave. The Bible says in verse number one, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. You see, David found no refuge in Gath, and we will never find refuge in the world. So he fled to the cave of Dullam. He's dwelling in that cave. That cave provided for David a refuge from Saul, his own king who was seeking to destroy him, and it also provided for him a refuge from the Philistines, his enemies, who were seeking to kill him. Here we find the future king of Israel, the anointed king, the king that was chosen, a man after God's own heart. And we don't find him in a castle. We find him in a cave. And he's learning there in that cave to lean upon the Lord, and he's learning to govern God's affairs. I'd like for you to look with me into one of those psalms that I mentioned just a moment ago. That's Psalm 57. We'll look at Psalm 142 in just a second as well. But we find that the cave is really a school. And God is preparing and teaching this chosen anointed king how to be a leader and how to lean upon himself. And David records these events in Psalm 57, we have, as I mentioned a moment ago, or last week rather, in the Psalms, we have a perspective that we would not otherwise have. We have the perspective of what is going on in the heart and mind of David as he experiences these trials. In verse number one, the Bible says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings... Will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed? I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions. I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. David said, I am among enemies. They're everywhere. 
And so I've come to the cave. In verse number one, he says to the Lord, be merciful. What is God teaching him in the cave? Well, I want you to know, number one, that David is learning to pray in the cave. He's learning to pray. He's learning to trust God. He's learning to seek the Lord. He's learning to depend upon the one who is greater than Saul, greater than the army of the Philistines. He is depending upon his God. Notice what he says concerning his geographical location. Although he's in the cave, what does he say in verse 1? Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. He's not simply in a cave. Oh, no. He is under the wing of God. I want you to know that if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where you find yourself this morning, no matter what afflictions or what trials you may be enduring, I want you to know that you can always go to Jesus. You say, well, I'm in a cold, dark, dusty, or maybe a damp cave. Oh, no, that's not where you are. If you're a child of God, you are underneath his wing. He is your refuge, and it is here that David learned to pray. Notice, if you would, if you'll go with me to Psalm 142. Psalm 142, which uh, as we read the titles of the Psalms, we see that Psalm 142 is a masculine of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. When he was in the cave. This is the prayer he prayed. Maybe you find yourself in the cave this morning and you need a prayer. Why don't you borrow David's? That's why God has given it to us. In Psalm 142, verse 1, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that, I, that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Have you ever been in a situation, in a circumstance, when you thought there was nobody there for you? Nobody really cared, it may have seemed to you. Uh, no one was really able to help you. You felt all alone. Let me just tell you, you are in some good company because David was exactly in that place, in that cave. And he thought, there's no one who cares for me. And so he cries into the one that he does know who cares. That's the Lord Jesus. He cries into the Lord. In verse 5, he said, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Aren't you glad to know today that though we live in a wicked, oppressive world, Though we suffer trials and afflictions, we are not left out in the storm. We have a refuge that we can run to for security, for safety, and for protection. And that refuge is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not only my refuge, but he is my portion. He is my provision. He is my all in all. And so David says in verse 6, Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. And the righteous shall compass me about. 
for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. You see, David looked beyond the trial. He embraced the promise, and he knew that one of God's promises, not one of them, would ever fail, that he would soon be enjoying the blessings of God's provision. And so we see that David learned to pray in the cave. The cave was a very important place for him. Then secondly, we see that David learned to praise in the cave. Go back with me to Psalm 57. He learned to pray in the cave, but he also learned to praise. In verse number 5, the Bible says, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and heart. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great under the heavens, and thy truth under the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Do you know what David learned in the cave? He learned how to take his hymn book in his hand and sing praises to God. In the midst of his trial, in the midst of his difficulty, he learned to pray and he learned to praise God. Maybe you find yourself in a cave this morning. What does God want to do in your life? He is, he is preparing you. He is fashioning you. He is working in your life. And he is putting you, although you think nobody knows and no one cares, he is putting you on a display shelf in a display case, and he's showing a lost world that there's someone here who knows God. And though they're facing trial. They've learned to trust. And though they're facing trial, they've learned to praise. And God is using them to point others to himself. Alexander McLaren, in his book entitled The Life of David, writes this concerning David's experience in the cave and God's working through that experience. McLaren writes, The effect of such life, the life in the cave, on his spiritual nature, was to deepen his unconditional dependence on God by the alternating extremes of heat and cold. You know, he's open to the elements. Fear and hope, danger and safety, to temper his soul and make it flexible, tough, and bright as steel. What was God doing? He was fashioning his captive his future king in the cave. We notice, secondly, the company. You see, David perhaps thought, and, and he did right, no one cares, no one knows. He thought that no one was aware that he was in the cave, but he was wrong. Again, I want to say this to you. When God puts you in the cave, he's there to use you. He's got you there so that he can use you to be a blessing to others who will come into those same caves. Notice in verse number two, and everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. 
and he became a captain over them. And there were with him, see this now, about 400 men. David in the cave, maybe a few companions, now becomes an army of 400 men who are there with him in the cave. This is his company. This is the group that God is leading to himself as he's placed David in the cave. Uh, David is going to be their captain. Now, notice what a group it was. Everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented. What a group. Sounds like our group, doesn't it? You see, the refuge these men were seeking was brought about as a result of the same reason David was seeking refuge. They were under the oppressive, tyrannical rule of Saul. They had no seat at Saul's table. Years earlier, Samuel the prophet had warned the people of God when they clamored for a king. You remember when they said, uh, give us a king? It grieved the heart of Samuel's soul, but God said, if that's what they want, that's what we'll give them. Well, that's what I'll give them, he said. And Samuel protested to the people in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse number 11, verses 11 through 17. If you want to write that in your notes, I would encourage you to do that and look at that later. But six times in those six verses, he speaks about what their king would take from them. And then numerous times, he said, he will take it from you to use it for himself. He said, you want a ruler like that? This is the one you're going to get. He's going to take from you to enrich himself. You see, there were two kings that day in the there was one in a cave and one back in Gibeah, Saul. Saul was the rejected king. Why was he rejected? Because he had rejected the truth of God. He had rejected the commandments of God. And the Lord said, I rejected him. There was the chosen king. That was David. David was running for his life in the cave. Saul was in command, but David was to be the future king. He was the anointed of the Lord. And these men recognized that they had no place in the kingdom of Saul and that their only hope was in the kingdom of David. Now, these events are historical, but let me say they also serve for us as prophetical events. Because David speaks prophetically of his son, the son of David, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of God, Jesus Christ. The kingdom of David speaks in a greater way or in a small way of the greater kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to say this to you this morning. There are two kingdoms in this present time. There's the kingdom of Satan and there's the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Satan is the ruler of this world. He is the prince of this world. He is called in the Bible the God of this world. And he is an oppressive ruler. But there is a king who is coming, King Jesus, and he will once and for all do away with the devil. 
and cast him into the lake of fire, and he will rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years, and then we will be with him throughout all eternity in his care and in his keeping. Have you made the decision like these 400 to go to King Jesus? Now, we note something about them. They were in distress. This word distress means anguish. It refers to the hardships and anxieties that they suffered. You see, these men were suffering from the attacks of the Philistines and from the toxic leadership of a paranoid king. We live in a world that is full of suffering. Kings throughout history and on every continent of the world have oppressed people. They've caused great distress in their lives. They've left, uh, they've made promises and left them unfulfilled. We live in a world that is in distress. Uh, just this week in the headlines of America, we read the news of a 71-year-old man in Atlanta killed with a hammer. There were mass shootings in Savannah, Georgia, Austin, Texas, and Chicago, Illinois that left two dead and 30 wounded. A mother in Brooklyn tossed her newborn daughter out of a two-story window. After she did that, she tossed her two-year-old son out of that same second-story window. And then she jumped herself. That's just a five-minute perusal of the headlines in America this week. You think we live in a world of people full of distress? Not only were they in distress, but they were in debt. That means they owed a debt, and they had no means to pay it. They were bankrupt. Do you know what the Bible teaches about the wages of sin? It is death. What we deserve, the penalty, the payment of our sin is an eternity in hell. It's a debt that we cannot pay. But there is one who paid it for us. His name is Jesus. When he suffered and bled and died on the cross of Calvary, he made the payment for your sin and for mine. The atoning sacrifice of the Lord Jesus is what satisfied the wrath of God on Calvary. They were discontented, disappointed, full of grief. We live in a world that is experiencing the same things. And when this group of men recognized they had no hope in Saul's kingdom, then they went to the king, the true king, King David. And they joined themselves to the heavenly captain. Alan Redpath in his book, The Making of a Man of God, writes this. He said, why did they come? I suggest that they came because they believed David was God's anointed king and had a right to rule over them. Have you acknowledged that Jesus is God's anointed king and that he has a right to rule over you? Have you left the kingdom of Saul and entered into the kingdom of Jesus? By faith, if you haven't, I want to invite you today to do so. The Bible tells us in verse number three that David went to Mizpah of Moab and he said unto the king of Moab, let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. 
You know, there are times in our lives when we don't know what God is going to do. We want answers. We're very impatient. We want God to clear up the matter today. And David learned not to get ahead of God. He'd done that once, right? In fact, he'd done it more than once. But the last time it didn't work out too well, he found himself in Gath. So he decided, I'm not going to do anything till I know what God will do for me. Verse 4, and he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. And the prophet Gad said unto David, Abide not in the hold, depart, and get thee into the land of Judah. You see, then he heard from the Lord. And when he heard from the Lord, the Bible says he departed and came into the forest of Hareth. That's the company. I'm glad to be a part of that company. You know, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen. I want to say this to you. God has chosen those who are in distress, those who are in debt. God has chosen all of us who are discontented, and he has received us unto himself. Oh, will you receive him? Let me give you a third thing, and that is the calamity. In Psalm 57, in his prayer, David, in verse number one, says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. We are living in a world that is full of calamity. I just read the headlines to you just today, a five-minute glance of the news, and those are the headlines. This happens every day in our nation, around the world, trouble on every hand. The psalmist said in Psalm 57, verse 4, my soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. In verse 6, he said, They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. I'm bowing underneath the weight of the wickedness of this world. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. David said, until these calamities be overpassed. We live in a world that is full of calamity. And here in chapter 22, we have a prime example of the calamity that the people of God and David were suffering under the awful regime of Saul. Notice it with me, if you would, please, in Psalm, or 1 Samuel, rather, 22 and verse 6. 1 Samuel 22 and verse 6. When Saul heard that David was discovered and the men were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. We always find Saul, don't we, with a spear in his hand, ready to throw it. In fact, we always find him throwing it at the wrong people. And there he is again with his spear in his hand. Verse 7, 
Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Here now, you Benjamites, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? What does he do? He attempts to discredit David. He wants to keep their loyalty. He said, listen, David can't do for you what I've done for you. Sounds like what the devil said to Eve in the garden, doesn't it? Oh, you think God's been good to you? You think he's put this garden here for you and said you can eat of the fruit of the, of the garden? But hey, wait a minute. What about the tree he told you you couldn't eat from? You see, God's holding out on you. You see, the devil always has a way of appealing to that side of us to cause us not to think about the goodness of God, but to think about the good things that we could enjoy if we violated God's word and God's command. But once we taste that fruit, we find out that it's bitter and it's destructive. Saul said, fellas, David can't do for you what I can. Verse 8, he says that all of you have conspired against me. Now he's now he's accusing his soldiers of conspiring against him. He says, there is none that showeth me that my son hath made league with the son of Jesse, and there is none of you that is sorry for me or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as it is this day. David was not lying in wait for Saul. David was running from him. Verse 9, then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, and he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now we read in chapter 21 in verse number 7 that there was a guy there, remember when David was visiting Nob, when he went to Ahimelech the priest, the Bible tells us in chapter 21 in verse 7, now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And we may have wondered if we read that passage, why, why is Doeg mentioned? Well, we're finding out. Because now Doeg is reporting to Saul that David went to Ahimelech the priest. But he leaves out a very important detail. He does not tell Saul that David misled or lied to Ahimelech about the nature of his business. Remember, David said, I'm on an errand for the king. Then he asked for bread. Then he asked for a sword, and Ahimelech granted his desire. Doeg left that part out. He also said that Ahimelech inquired of the Lord on David's behalf, which we do not read in chapter 21. So what do we find out about Doeg? He leaves out something that's very important to the story, and he adds something to give a view, to portray Ahimelech in a light that will deceive Saul. And Saul is ready to take the bait because of his anger, because of his fury, because of his paranoia and his rage. Look again in verse 11. Then the king sent to call Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were in Nob, and they came, all of them, to the king. And Saul said, Here now, thou son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. 
And Saul said unto him, Why have ye conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, in that thou hast given him bread and a sword, and hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as it is this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? Be it far from me. Let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of all this, less or more. In essence, he's saying to Saul, I don't have any idea what you're talking about. And why are you going after David? He's your son-in-law, and he is a faithful servant. But that denial and that rebuke is not enough for Saul. And so in verse 16, the Bible said, And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house. Here is Saul again, ready to throw the spear. The king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. Can you believe what you're reading? The king of Israel commands his soldiers to put the priests of Israel to death. How do you get to this point? It begins with just small decisions. I don't care what God has to say. I'm going to do what I want to do. The soldiers said, we're not going to kill the priests. So in verse 18, the king said to Doeg, turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned and he fell upon the priests. He was happy to do the job. And he slew on that day, get this please, he slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod. That means 85 priests. This Edomite, a descendant of Esau, a profane man who had no, no thing, no affection in his heart for God and God's people, takes the sword and slays 85 priests. But he wasn't done there. Verse 19 and Nob, the city of the priests, smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. He slaughtered an entire city of the family of the priests, their wives, their children, their possessions at the command of Saul. The calamity, you've got a taste for it now. What was it like to live in Israel when Saul was king? It was a fearful place, a dangerous place, a scary place. And these 400 men said, we can't handle it anymore. We're going to David. And David said, Lord, we're waiting on you until these calamities be overpassed. We're living in a world full of calamity. We're living un, in a world that is under the dominion of a wicked ruler. But we're trusting 
that one day the righteous king is coming. We've put our faith and trust in him, and we know that one day he will come and that he will rule and we will be with him throughout all eternity. Alan Redpath states it this way. He said, they were willing to be buried alive in a cave, metaphorically speaking, to await God's time when having suffered with him, they would share the grandeur of his reign. It seems to me that the analogy is obvious. What are the circumstances in which you and I live today? What is the spiritual significance behind the scenes, as it were, of world events? We often wonder that, don't we? What does the Bible say is behind the sin and suffering of this world? It tells us that there is a king who has been rejected and disowned by God. Jesus Christ spoke of him as the prince of this world, Satan, the devil, the serpent, whatever you might like to call him. The whole world in which we live today is held in the grip of this evil being. And what does he offer? Calamity. So we note a, f a final thing here as we conclude. Uh, we have seen the cave and then the company the calamity, but we note here lastly the condemned. In all of this great slaughter, the Bible tells us in verse 20, and one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. David said unto Abiathar, I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, and he surely did. He said, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. You see, here we find Abiathar. He is condemned by Saul, but he's managed to escape. And where does he go? He goes to the captain. And what happens when he gets there? Look at verse 23. Notice these words of David. Abide thou with me. Fear not. For he that seeketh my life seeketh thy life. But with me thou shalt be in safeguard. I remember the day as a seven-year-old boy under the oppressive, oppressive regime of Satan, I understood that if I died in my sins, I'd go to hell. And I ran to the captain of my salvation, the author and finisher of my faith, Jesus Christ. I'm glad to know this morning that Jeff DeLiesel is in the presence of the Lord. Jeff served his nation and fought in Vietnam and he had talked to me about a prayer that he had made in a foxhole in Vietnam, but each time that he and I would discuss that, I, I had no confidence and assurance in my soul that he truly knew Christ. The Friday before he died, God gave him a moment of clarity, a moment of consciousness that he had not before that experienced since his illness. Brian and Melissa Odom and were on their way over as God had directed it. They didn't know what was going to happen. They were taking Elaine to see Jeff. 
When they got to the hospital, they found Jeff alert and aware, and Brian Odom shared with Jeff the soul-saving message of the captain of his soul, Jesus Christ. And Jeff, on the doorstep of death, in the clutches of the king of this world, ran to the refuge, to the rock, to the captain, and trusted him as his savior. And though within a few days, he had, as we often say, passed away, I want you to know he didn't pass away. He just passed on into the land of glory with his captain. I want to ask you a question this morning. Which kingdom are you living in? Are you living in the kingdom of Satan or in the kingdom of the Son of God? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you come to him? Have you acknowledged that you're a sinner? Have you found out yet? Have you determined that there's really nothing for you in the kingdom of Saul? And are you willing to leave it behind and go to Jesus and experience salvation? If you will do that, I will say to you that he will receive you. I preached a funeral service on Monday. I hardly knew anybody there. And I felt like I was with a group of people who hadn't had the same opportunities in life that I had had to grow up in a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. There were some there, but I could tell that there were many who did not understand. There was one gentleman who at the end, of, toward the close of the service, got up and walked out. And his body language at least demonstrated to me that he wasn't happy about what I had to say. And I left there with a heavy burden, not just for him, but for numbers of people. Thanking God that I was in the safety and refuge of the captain, but concerned about those who weren't. And this thought has been on my mind throughout this week that Jesus will receive whosoever will. The key is they must receive him. And if you'll receive Jesus today, if you'll turn away from Satan and sin and turn to the Savior, I got some good news for you. He'll receive you. You see, here was Abiathar. He was condemned. He had no place to go. Saul was going to hunt him down and kill him. There was only one place he could go, and that was to David. And David said, hey, listen, come and live with me. Thou shalt be in safeguard. I'm glad to know that no matter what happens in this world, that I belong to Jesus and that everything is going to be okay. Has he become a captain over you? If he hasn't, this morning, in just a moment, when we stand and sing a hymn of invitation, I want to invite you to pray and ask the Lord Jesus to be your captain. We have people here who can take the Bible and show you from the word of God how that you can be saved. You can leave here having departed the kingdom of Satan and entered into the kingdom 
of the Lord Jesus. Maybe this morning as a believer, you find yourself in a cave and you can't wait to get out. You don't know why you're there. What is God doing? Well, he's working on you. He wants to teach you to pray and he wants to teach you to praise. Can you do that in the cave? Absolutely. The question is, will you? And then remember this, it was in the cave that God prepared David to lead the 400 and then ultimately the entire nation. And the reason God has you in the cave is because there's somebody coming to that cave and they need to know Jesus and you can point them there because you know what it's like to live in the cave. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.